2: Hi, this is Qbert. This is the What's Up Next podcast.
1: Hi, this is Jessica, and
0: you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Lynn-Marie Morsky, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
0: Hi, this is Angela, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast
1: welcome to what's up next where your hosts paul david thompson and doc g take the discussion
0: on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence
3: welcome this is paul david
4: thompson and this is doc g so paul thompson what's up next
3: Hey, Doc. I'm really excited about today's episode because in this world of financial independence and retire early, we always play with this idea. We debate this idea of retirement. And today we're going to be asking our guests, what are the alternatives to early retirement? So we have four guests that are going to comment on that question over the arc of this episode. But first, let each of them give us a quick introduction.
2: This is Qbert. I blog about early retirement on abandonedcubicle.com. I live with a family. family of four in uh, Minnesota, and I'm in my mid-40s looking to retire early before I reach the big five
0: I'm Jessica. I'm in my early 30s, and I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm really honored to be on the podcast today. I write for my blog called The Pioneers, and the philosophy for our blog is that the journey to financial independence should be as remarkable as the destination. So we don't believe that financial freedom is all or nothing. We actually believe it's incremental and that we can grab hold of it along the way.
1: Hi, I'm Lynn Marie Morski. Thank you so much for having me. I am the author of Quitting by Design and host of the Quit Happens podcast, and I also host the new Plant Medicine podcast where I educate the medical community and interested patients on plant and psychedelic medicines.
5: Hi, I'm Angela over at Tread Lightly Retire Early. I live in the Seattle area with my husband and four-year-old son, and when my son was a year old, I cut my time back to 80%, and it was the best decision I've ever made.
4: So, Qbert, I was reading your blog the other day, and I realized that you and I share maybe one of my favorite movies. Uh, It's called Jiro Loves Sushi. It's a documentary about this Japanese gentleman who is a sushi expert. He's 90 years old, and the documentary really talks about his passion for what he does. Isn't that really the goal for all of us? I mean, shouldn't we love our work the way Jiro does? You know,
2: I would say absolutely. In a dream setting, we find a job that we just can't wait to get after every single morning, every single day. You know, I would say Jiro's example is a bit of an extreme. It's hard work. I think he's on his feet all day long. And it didn't seem to me that he really had an opportunity to enjoy his life outside of what he did every day, you know. So it was good to sort of get that perspective from that movie. And I think early in my blogging career, that sort of got me to think differently a little bit about early retirement.
4: Jessica, talk about this a little bit, enjoying the journey. First of all, how did you come up with the name Pioneers? And does that relate to this idea of not only destination, but journey also?
0: Yeah, so we actually came up with the name when we were off the grid at a cabin in Maine. And we were thinking about... And talking about the journey to financial independence and what we wanted our journey to look like and Corey, my husband, was on board and I wasn't completely there yet because I thought that it was all about early retirement and getting to the destination. And I was really focused also on, I wanna love my life now and I wanna love my life along the way. And so through talking about that, we decided that there needed to be a balance between the ultimate financial goal and the life that we're living as we go, and as we go on the path to get there. And so we started thinking about words like explorer, or, you know, different, different types of things. And then we finally came up with the pioneers, and we able to add the, the five to the beginning of it. So that was fun.
4: So Lynn Marie, I feel like you are an expert at quitting. But sometimes we confuse, at least in our community, the difference between quitting and early retirement. Are they the same thing?
1: No, there's several ways to quit that don't involve early retirement. And in fact, there are several small quits that you can make along the way a long time before you get to retirement to make your situation better, like she was just saying, along the way. So you're not waiting until you finally retire to enjoy your life. So
4: Angela, what she says is we shouldn't wait to enjoy our lives. It seems to me like you were really enjoying your job and yet you decided to go part-time anyway. Why?
5: So before I had my son, going part-time was not even on my radar, and it wasn't something I expected to do after he was born. But once I'd back, ramped back up to full-time when he was five months old, I was still working about half-time from home without childcare. So that meant during nap time, after bedtime, basically any snippets of the day that I could catch, I would be pulling open my laptop and working. And so it meant that Monday through Friday, I was... Constantly on, constantly running, and basically didn't have any time for anything else. And it just wasn't sustainable. So when he hit a year old, we put him into part time childcare to cover the time that he was with me at home. And then I cut my hours to 80% time. So I'm off work around two o'clock every day. And it's something that I had initially planned on doing just until he started kindergarten, which will be in another year. But as he's gotten older and I've gotten more free time back in my life just from having an older child, I'm realizing that I really appreciate the afternoons and the time to spend doing things other than work. I definitely still love my job and still plan on sticking around for a good long time. I think what I'm doing is really important and I get a lot of life satisfaction from that, but I also get a lot of life satisfaction from blogging and gardening and running and hanging out with my family and spending time with my neighbors. So it's more that I want pieces of a lot of things in my life and I'm not willing to completely cut out pieces in order to go all in on one thing.
4: So Jessica, let's contrast Angela's story with yours. Angela loved her job part-time because there were other parts of life she wanted to attend to. When you quit your first job and then took a second job, which was part-time, you didn't love your job at all. Is that correct?
0: No. So I think my original motivation to pursue financial independence was because I hated my job and I wanted to retire early. And it was a terrible job in a very toxic environment. I was working 50 plus hours a week. And I got to a place where I actually had a mental breakdown. Like I started having panic attacks and I took actually about a six month career break and decided ultimately to not go back to that job. Because I had learned a lot of things about myself and about what I actually wanted out of life during that time, and through exposure to different stories in the financial independence community and people doing different things, Angela actually going part-time was one of my motivations to understand that. And when I went back to work, I was able to say, you know, what I actually want is to be able to have different things in my life. I found that I really, really enjoyed writing I wanted to continue to have time for that. I wanted to continue to have time to focus on my health and well-being. And so now I'm working part-time. I enjoy my job. I love my boss. It's a great work environment. I'm only there three days a week. So I forget by Friday that I have a job. So then I have the whole weekend without even thinking about work at all and really enjoy that and am able to spend a lot of time doing passion projects, spending time with friends, and just doing things that I want.
4: And for you, this was a bit of an identity shift, right? Because you were very Mm -hmm. career focused when you first came out of college and started working. Is that right? And if it is so, what caused that identity shift?
0: Yeah, great question. So it definitely was an identity shift. I think I was incredibly career focused. I think a lot of that came from sexism that I had experienced throughout college and throughout my early career. And so I felt like I needed to prove myself, I needed to be successful, I needed to pave the way for other women in the workforce. And I think I got to a point where that was just too much of a burden to carry. And I didn't want to anymore. And I think I realized through being exposed to so many different people doing different things, that there wasn't just one path to success, that there were many, and that I could figure out what that meant for myself. And actually, what I want to do is help women figure out how to have financial freedom and do what they want, not just be, you know, powerhouses in their careers, unless that is what they really want.
5: Yeah, I just kind of wanted to pick up a little bit about Jessica talking about passion projects and I kind of feel like I have multiple of those in my life. I would definitely call my job a passion project. I am extremely passionate about what I do, but I think Military Dollar wrote a really awesome post last year called The Problem with Choose a Job You Love and You Will Never Work a Day in Your Life. And I wholeheartedly agree with the concept of that post. I love my job. I think it's extremely rewarding. I'm very proud of what I do. I think it's really important. We build really sustainable, affordable housing in a really high cost of living area. So very important work. But there are days where it just straight up feels like work. And it's not always fun 100% of the time. And sometimes it's stressful and sometimes it sucks. And it's still something that I choose to come back to day after day after day. So I think it's one of those things where it sounds really great that there's a passion project that, you know, Hero Dreams of Sushi every single day is a, you know, sunshine and rainbows and you just can't wait to leap out of bed and get there. And I think, especially if you are doing one thing for a longer period of time, next week's nine years in my career at this job, and it's a long time to be doing one thing and to be excited about one thing and big picture, I always am very aware that what I'm doing is really important and I'm very happy to be doing what I'm doing, but there are days or weeks where it's not always fun and I think that's okay and I think it can be damaging to think that unless something is happy and positive at all times, that it's worth doing.
2: And I'm glad you brought it up, Angela, because this is one of my fears, right? So you've been wonderful about commenting on some of my posts and trying to kick me in the pants, Like, go part time, just do it, you know, because I just waffle. What I fear is that even my passion projects, even the things that I think that I've grown to love outside of work, will replace work. I can think of some of the jobs I've done at my rentals, that have been stressful, that have been arduous. I can think of days working on my blog where I've wanted to pull the rest of my hair out. There's not much left. So, my fear is that finding a job you love, I think that that comes with a bit of stress, a bit of effort, and persistence and struggle. And I'm just trying to reconcile that. I'm glad you brought it up because, again, I think a job can be that way. I think. What you choose to do outside of work can end up becoming what you had tried to get away from in a job.
4: Lynn, let's talk about this a little bit. Reconciling passion, momentary passion, maybe versus your life's work. I think a lot about whether there's good quitting and bad quitting. And I tend to think of my son, right, who's in high school. But one day he's going to be in college, and I'm sure at some point he's going to come up against a course that's really tough. And maybe he gets a C or D on his first test. And he may come to me and say, Dad, I want to drop this class. And part of me may say, you know, Well, maybe you should stick with it. Maybe, you know, it's not great right now, but maybe you should make it into something better. So, Lin-Marie, is there good quitting and bad quitting?
1: I love that you asked that question because the actual word quitting just means you've stopped doing a thing. There's no judgment associated with it. So instead of good and bad quitting, I call it strategic quitting versus giving up. Because what happens when the going gets a little tough and you get a bad grade or two and you don't love the material and you're thinking of leaving that situation, that to me is giving up. However... If you are in, for example, I was in grad school for multimedia at some point in time and I went there because I was working in multimedia and I wanted to up my skills and know more hardcore coding and I got halfway through the two-year program and we hadn't done a code if we didn't cover that at all somehow. And so whether my grades are great or not, it was not behooving me to put any more dollars toward that education or any more time. And so I strategically quit that. And so that to me is the difference. And sometimes if people are having a hard time deciding, is this gonna be a strategic quit or am I giving up? Use the analogy of somebody who's like training for a marathon, and they're getting up every morning to run to train for this marathon. And the difference between giving up and strategic quitting is the difference between you stopping because you're like, oh, it's annoying to get up in the morning, it's cold, I don't wanna go run a lot that's your head talking to you whereas opposed to the person who gets up every morning and they're doing the runs but their family is missing them and their relationships are suffering and work is really stressful for them at this point so they're not getting any sleep so they're running on little sleep and then their body starts to ache and pain in new ways that's your body telling you maybe this is not the time to be training for a marathon and so it's that's the situation where you're strategically quitting so you know your son is in a classroom where the grades aren't great and something that he doesn't necessarily love you're right there's that decision do i kind of get give up or do I work through this? But if he's in, for example, a path of study and class after class after class, this keeps happening, it may be time to stop and realize this may not be working for a reason. Maybe this is not the path for you. And then you strategically quit that major.
4: Jessica, I love this conversation about passion and when it's time to quit and when it isn't time to quit. A friend of mine, Christy and Bryce, wrote a book called Quit Like a Millionaire. And in there, Christy talks about the idea that she wanted to be a writer from the way beginning. And at some point in college, she looked at the finances and said, well, I could become a writer, but writers don't make that much money. So instead, she decided to become an engineer. Now, looking back, she did that knowing that eventually she would become financially independent. And then after she became financially independent, she could pursue her passion. So she delayed her passion. I tend to call this front-loading the sacrifice. So, I mean, is there a role, Jessica, for front-loading the sacrifice? I mean, is it okay to grind on in the beginning, knowing that it'll give you greater freedom further down the road?
0: I think it depends on who you are and what it is that you want. So, for example... I have always worked in nonprofit organizations. Early in my career, I did not make a lot of money. I did AmeriCorps for a year where I made like $11,000 a year living in the New York City suburbs. And then, you know, slowly built up my career in nonprofit, but didn't go into the workforce making a lot of money. I sort of worked my way up to that point. And I do think that focusing on your career and saving a good chunk of money does enable you to be able to make decisions like the one that I am making now to work part-time, right? Like that was definitely an enabler to do that. But I don't feel like I was deferring my passion or deferring like what I wanted to do during that time necessarily. But I think each person's journey and story is different, So I can't say that, you know, what they did was not necessarily a good path to take. But I think for me, I definitely have always wanted to do something that I feel really connected to. And I think for me, writing and sort of wanting to be a blogger is actually connected to that because I work in HR in my day job. And I work in HR because I've realized throughout my career that what I really like is being able to share with people the things that I've learned. And that's why I write. I don't write because I love writing. Like writing is fun. I enjoy the creative part of it, but I write because I want to share with people what I've learned. And that's what sort of gets me up in, in the morning. And I don't know if I would have learned that if I had taken or pursued a path that was sort of completely outside of that.
5: So I kind of feel like this is not an all or nothing kind of question. If you're talking, are you going to ground Me out for a year or six months or something with something you really don't enjoy, but there's a really big end goal. I can understand that. Or if it's something you enjoy enough, but it's not something you're super passionate about, but it's okay. I think that can last for longer, but it's when you're grinding it out and you're doing something that you really, really don't enjoy for two, three, five, ten 10 years that I feel like that's where it becomes a problem. If we're talking about a very finite amount of time, then sure, there's definite reasons to get through that pain for future gains. But I feel like too often that amount of time and that amount of unhappiness is a lot more than is probably worth it. If you just absolutely dread going to work every single day and you're like, well, just in two years, five years, you know, then I'm going to be completely free and I don't have to do this anymore. I would really question if there's not some way to make your life better now, partially because, you know, we can't get these years back, but also not everybody is guaranteed those five years or 10 years. And I've, you know, had experiences in my own life to see people that get a diagnosis and within three months, six months, they're dead, who are completely healthy and grinding it out and suddenly their life is over or it's altered irrevocably in a completely, you know, such a way that what they wanted, they can't do anymore. So I think there's definitely a balance of being okay with something that's not perfect to get you to an end goal versus working through something that's terrible to get to your end goal.
2: I just wanted to add a point that sometimes you don't know that you're in the middle of making a sacrifice until much later on. For me personally, I didn't know really what my passions were. I was just context switching all over the place. So you know, Lynn Marie, I'm, I'm one of those 25-year strategic quitters. And had I chosen a path to retire early in my 30s, I may not have gotten to the point in my career where I figured out how to quote unquote play the game. I do think there's something to be said for that, that over the course of time, if you're a good learner, if you're able to avoid toxic environments or recognize the toxicity in yourself and develop your EQ, you can make your situation a lot more survivable, let's say. So I, I think that there's something to be said, perhaps for that sort of longer learning curve or longer sacrifice curve, if you will, that when you get to the end, you may be able to accept a few more years of work. And it's not such a, a drudgery.
4: Yeah, I was about to say, Cuber, you talk about your retirement plan hitting a snag. In fact, you seem less sure about retiring the closer you get, even though it sounds like economically, it's going to definitely be a possibility. Do you think sticking it in there has done you some benefit?
2: I think it has. You know, what Angela alluded to earlier is that, you know, as as our kids grow up, we're less and less needing to be there for them at every moment. They do start going to school. There's long periods of time during the day when they're not under your care. And it feels to me like like there's less of a pull for me to be at home to watch over my kids. You know, maybe during the summer months, sure. But I think that going back to my previous thoughts, you know, it feels like when I show up at work, I can make a difference. It, It may not be perhaps as as directly influencing society that along the lines that Angela's place of work does, I, I really think what she's doing is awesome. And, you know, it's that's a wonderful thing. But even in my field, I just feel like, okay, I've gotten to a level of mastery. And if I just hang it up now, am I taking that twenty five years of learning how this game works and how to operate better and be more effectively? Am I just kind of chucking that away when I could instead spend another five plus years Mentoring others, trying to make this place better, trying to deliver value. And at the same time, you know, padding the stash. You know, the dollar signs come into the picture sometimes too, right?
1: Qbert, I would love to speak to that if I could, because you say the scenario of maybe five more years and you've got, like you said, a little more padding in the stash and you've mentored people. And for you, it's making you feel like everything you've put into it doesn't go to quote unquote waste. And in making that decision, if you were one of my, you know, coaching clients, I would ask you what the toll is or what you would foresee the toll being on your health and on your relationships in that five years. Because like I always talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. How bright is that light and how dark and long is that tunnel? Because the 10 years that it took me, I was a multimedia designer, then I decided I was going to be a sports medicine doctor, and it took 10 years and a quarter million dollars of invested time and energy to get there. But when I got there, and it wasn't the thing that I wanted it to be, and I was having tachycardia, and I was kind of at this like, low-level anxiety all the time, it didn't matter how much time or money I had put into that, my health was going to suffer. Especially, I'd already done like Q3 at Mayo Clinic for multiple years. I felt existentially super tired. That was really hard to even recover from that, seemingly, like... On a lifelong basis. I'm still sleeping a ton. But look at that five years and okay, is it like Angela was saying tolerable and it's not going to take a big toll on your health? Then you know, great if that makes you feel better about the investment you've already made. But on the flip side, if it's going to really impact your health negatively, then realize that there's a something called the sunk cost fallacy and whatever time and money you've already put into that 25 years, you can't get it back by staying, but it absolutely shouldn't be some kind of ball and chain that keeps you trapped there
2: thanks for that. I'm going to add two points. One is I'm going to try to bring Denmark to the US. And by that, I mean, try to apply a work balance that works for me. I think that when you get to financial independence, and you've reached a point at work where you know how this game works, I don't have to bring my laptop home every night and crack it open. I didn't have to bring my laptop with me on vacation that I'm on right now. I am finding ways to navigate this that work for me, because I hear you. When I decided to take this early retirement journey, I was stressed out. I mean, I was suffering from inflammation issues. I was just like borderline anxiety, you name it. And in the meantime, you know, the twins had just been born. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm leaving my wife with us. And I'm having to join work meetings on weekends and holidays. It was crazy. So I've been a student of it. I'm not saying that there's going to be times where I can always get away with it, but learning how to manage my time effectively, manage my priorities, be as effective as I can in the window of time that I dedicate to work has proven to be successful so far. The minute that starts to break down is the minute that I quit. And if I can't quit when that's going down, I'm going to be reaching out to you for some coaching.
4: usa.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Alright, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. So, Jessica, let's talk a little bit about this. I think one of the things people are so afraid of is that they'll go part-time or they'll quit and it'll ruin all of their plans. So talk to me a little bit about how going part-time has affected your financial independence plans.
0: It hasn't really, in many ways. So we had a timeline to reach financial independence in about 10 years based on our current plan and timeline. We had last year about a 60% savings rate. And this year, sort of cutting my income in half, my husband, Corey, got a promotion at work, so increases his income a little bit. But without the, all of the stress... Of full time work and always feeling like we needed to buy convenience or we needed, you know, buy things because we deserved it. We actually cut our costs by about $17,000 in the past year by just being a little bit more intentional and not paying for convenience. And so that being the case, we're actually expecting to have about the same savings rate this year, so about a 60%, which puts us at you know, about 10 to 12 years. Whereas if we, you know, if I had continued to work full time and increase our income, we could have sort of decreased that timeline pretty significantly. But I actually look at it as we're working for two or three more years now, technically, if we actually do continue to keep everything the same and decide not to scale back even more. But right now I'm buying back a thousand hours every year of my time by working part-time.
5: I kind of want to reiterate that. So our savings rate in 2016 and 2017 was 22, 23%, which is still pretty darn respectable. But once I clawed back those hours and found more balance in my life. I kind of like Jessica's saying is I didn't feel as much need to pay for convenience and pay for things because life was so busy and hectic. And it gave me the time to really focus and be intentional with our spending and making decisions in a like clear state of mind. And of course, you know, raises and such also happen. But last year we had a 46% savings rate with my hours being less which seems kind of backwards, and it did take a couple of years to get there. It wasn't like I I went to 80% time and a light switch flipped and things got back to normal. I went to 80% time and, you know, we just kept on trucking for a year and a half. And then I kind of finally, you know, my son got older, I had time and suddenly I I had time to really think about what we were doing and how we were spending our money and really, but I had the space Mm -hmm. to figure it out. And I think had I continued to work the long hours, I wouldn't have had that space. I would have been making more money. At this point, I'm giving up a significant income to be at 80% time because technically it's a 20% decrease in salary because I'm working 20% less, but in all reality, a full-time, Job commands a higher salary than part-time. So I'm probably giving up more like 30% of my income. So when you consider I've been doing this for three and a half years, I don't make a huge salary, but I make a pretty decent one. And that number starts getting really, really big. Some of that is definitely balanced by increased savings, but some of it is I am just straight up giving up money for time. And it's something that I've not once regretted we make enough. And I think once you make enough to cover your finances and still be able to put money away to savings and still be able to dream pretty big, the incremental difference of more money, you need to be really, really intentional about why you are pursuing that extra income. For me, once that baseline is hit and I've got a little bit of savings, then I think the next step is to really make sure what I'm doing with those hours are worth that return.
3: So I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Jessica, a second ago, you said that you bought back more time by working less. How does that equation work out? Because it seems counterintuitive that you would work less, but yet you're buying back more time by earning less money.
0: So the way that I thought about that was I figured out if I had the income from working a full-time job. So say I increase my income by the 40% to have the full-time income, it would decrease our financial independence timeline by two or three years. But instead of doing that, so right now we have about a 10-year timeline instead, so it's about three years of time. But in those seven years, I continue to have a thousand hours extra per year And the sacrifice is only two to three more years of working a job that I actually enjoy and having a balance of life that I actually like.
4: So Lynn Marie, it sounds like people definitely can survive going part-time and thrive. It sounds like they can survive quitting and going in a different direction. So what holds people back? Talk a little bit about the limiting mindset and the shame that people feel that keeps them in their jobs.
1: Definitely. There are a number of fears and shame rolls right in with that because one of those fears might be, what will people think if I quit this quote unquote good job or, an, or a secure job? We all know no, no job was actually secure. And that might be one of the fears they have. Uh, like Hubert was talking about, will the time and money and energy I've invested become a waste if I leave this industry that I'm in currently? Or you know, will I not find something else on the other side? You know, if you're quitting without some kind of backup, that's a huge fear. And that's, that keeps a lot of people trapped, especially if they have not made the financial contributions over the years and they don't have a big nest egg. That's a pretty big leap depending on, you know, how much of a family you're supporting or the kind of monthly expenses you have. But I'd say those three things, in addition to the fact that you discussed a bit ago, um, you know, I'm a physician, people quitting medicine, that's a big identity shift. You know, who are you? Oh, I'm a doctor. Well, if you're not doctoring anymore, you're still a doctor, but people may be like, oh, what do you do? And you have to insert the blank with something else that isn't that thing that you so identified yourself with for years. That can keep a lot of people stuck and feeling as though they they're justified in hanging on to that. I'm like, "Mm, you can do whatever you would like, but at the end of your life, how much happiness have you felt versus that, you know, little bit of ego you might have to struggle with in telling people you're quitting that job, in kind of shifting your identity, or in how much does it take from you to overcome those fears of will I find something better on the other side? Because the answer is yes, you absolutely will. Your health is on the other side. Your happiness is on the other side. There is a way that you will make it happen because once you are in alignment, then things will flow to you once you're clear on what you want and what your ideal day looks like, what your ideal job looks like, then things are much more likely to come to you that are going to be better for you.
5: So I just want to talk a little bit about that ego piece. So I was also a part-time park ranger for six and a half years. And it was something I really enjoyed doing. I got paid to hike trails and lead nature walks and yell at people for walking through the trails with their off-leash dogs. But ultimately, it was something I really enjoyed, and I, I got a lot of identity from saying I was a park ranger because it's such a unique thing to do. And it kind of expressed, you know, how much I'm into nature and the environment and all that kind of stuff. And it was easier to describe sometimes than my main career. And I really enjoyed having both pieces of that in my life. But Once my son was born, I actually brought him to a couple of shifts when he was really young. I could have him in the carrier and uh, they let me bring him. But I realized at some point that it wasn't worth the weekends that I was taking away from family time. I mean, I was with my son, but I wasn't with my husband. And we weren't able to, you know, pick up and go camping for the weekend because I had a, a shift at the ranger station. And it took me probably a good year to actually quit it after it was probably time. My husband was well aware of it well more than I, before I was willing to say that it was time, but it was not the money. I mean, I was making like 16 something an hour for, you know, a 6-hour shift. So, once, you know, my student loans were gone, my home was bought, like the dollar number was not the thing keeping me there. And now, I'm not a park ranger, but I take friends for nature walks through the woods behind my house and it's just as rewarding, but it was really hard to let that label go, even though it wasn't even my full-time thing, but it was something that I had took a lot of pride in. And it was fighting through that ego part to finally just say, okay, I need to step away from this. And I need to reclaim that time for us.
0: I want to speak about that identity piece too. I do feel like I felt similarly going part-time, especially because I do blog part-time, but I'm an anonymous blogger. So whenever anyone asks me, you know, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I work part-time working in a job or a nonprofit. And the first question that people often ask me, is, well, how old are your kids? And then I say, I don't have kids. And then people say, how do you spend all of your free time? And then I, you know, and I don't talk about my writing because I'm anonymous. And so then sometimes I wonder if it leaves people just wondering, like, what do I even do with my life and feeling like there's a sense of pride that maybe I used to have that I no longer have. And I've actually seen that with my parents as well. Like I've seen them when they, you know, are talking to their friends about their new job, they want to talk about how I also blog because it feels like working part-time is not a respectable thing. But I think I've worked through that to say like, this is what I want to be doing. And this is the life that I want to have. And I love the pace that it gives me. I love the sense of balance. I love the synergy between the different areas of my life. I'm much happier right there's so many benefits to it that i definitely got to the point where it doesn't matter what people think of that and whether they think that i'm less than because i'm only working part time
2: i think i would struggle with that i'm learning from you guys by the way this is fantastic so selfishly i'm i'm hoping to come away feeling more informed and you know able to make better decisions about my future path but i would agree i mean i think there is some ego to this conversation Having worked hard, having achieved promotions over the course of a couple decades, and having achieved a pretty big promotion, even just within the last year, it's tough. You feel like you walk away from that all of a sudden. Qbert, what's your identity? Well, you know, I'm no longer XX, you know, manager or whatever of XX company. I dabble on my real estate rentals and take care of the kids after they get home from school which there's nothing wrong with that right but after so many years of conditioning myself that this was my journey this is my path there's some of that chiro right i'm the sushi chef and i don't want to walk away from preparing that sashimi (laughs) i'm sort of attached to this identity i feel like i need another identity to step into after i leave the cubicle life
1: Tim Ferriss talks about this concept of diversification of identity. And it's really key when you're facing these transition points to realize that you already have other identities. You said you're a father, correct? So you've got that identity and whatever hobby you have. Like, for example, if somebody says like, Lynn Marie, who are you? I would say I'm a dancer. I don't start with, I mean, I'm a physician and an attorney. I don't start with any of that because who I am at the core, if you ripped all of my degrees away, I'd still be a dancer and look at your own life. And I'm sure you have passions in other areas and hobbies. And to get back to what Jessica said, I mean, first off, you can answer the question of what you do in a thousand different ways. Like nobody has to say, oh, she works part-time in HR. Oh, she works in HR. Like you don't need to give out accessory details because really, is that the most important or interesting part of you? No. Like, oh, she works in HR, but she's this great botanist. You know, like somebody who's going to answer that question more interestingly is going to focus on what you do outside of work anyway, and so I think it's just worth it to realize that that one minute of awkwardness that you're fearing when somebody says like, "Who are you?" or "What what are you?" there are a thousand different probably more interesting ways to answer that question than with what you do. So like Tim says, you know, take a look because I quote this in my book. If you look at Twitter, Barack Obama's Twitter little explanation thing at the top of the profile, which is kind of where I think people describe their identity. It said like husband, dad, environmentalist, president. Like president was like the fourth thing on his identity list. There were so many other things that he saw himself as before that. So that when he was no longer president, look, he's still a husband, a dad, and an environmentalist. And I'm sure that you will be a number of things too.
2: So Lynn Marie, I I would just say you're absolutely right. And as long as you can look in the mirror and say that and feel comfortable with that, that's what matters. It's less important to me to be able to say it to, you know, friends or acquaintances at a dinner party or people I'm meeting. than it is to recognize that with myself staring in the mirror.
1: Yeah. And I had this conversation with somebody else on a podcast, but just realize that maybe your identity is, I'm a giving person. Like it doesn't have to be something you could put on a business card or something people see you do as a hobby. Like if you just are, oh, I'm a philanthropist or I'm just a, a really caring neighbor. Like there are a lot of things that if you look in the mirror that you'll probably be more proud of because they're from your heart than just like somebody has hired you to do a thing. So I
5: honestly think of all the things I do, being a good human is kind of my ultimate like top Priority in life beyond everything else. And, Kubert you talk about wanting to just be able to say that to the mirror. I think it's actually really important that you can say those things to your friends and to your neighbors and your coworkers, especially when you're doing something outside of the norm, because a lot of people that might initially push back on that is because they can't see their lives any differently because mm-hmm. the narrative is so intensely ingrained. And so I think it's really important. So when I first went part time, I didn't really talk about it. A lot of people still don't know that I don't work full-time hours. I'm in the office five days a week, just shorter hours. And it took a while to really come to embrace that and speak about it in a positive way without giving excuses to it, but to fully share and explain why and why it's such a good thing. And I think it's really important that yeah, you want to convince yourself of that too. But I think if you can share a better, balanced, more holistic picture of your life, it helps to show others that they can have a more well-rounded, you know, more full life, that the full-time employee that, you know, I'm a dad and a, an employee in the end is not the whole story and it doesn't need to be the whole story.
0: I totally agree with that. I feel like it is an important part of my identity to talk about how I work part time because there are so many things in my life that I want to be spending time on and that I'm proud that I spend time on that I, I want people to know and I want people to not like I want to help people see it not as a negative thing to be working less. I would love for people to see it more as a positive thing to be working less. And I talk a lot about mental health because I want that to be destigmatized too, right? And that's a huge reason why I work part-time. I chose to work part-time and I'm continuing to choose to work part-time because I want to focus on my mental health. And I want people to know that. And I want people to feel a sense of freedom that if they can, that that is a completely viable decision that someone can choose to make in their life for their, you know, improvement of their well-being.
4: So Jessica, would you have ever come to this conclusion if you hadn't first discovered financial independence?
0: I don't know. I mean, I can't sort of go back in time and imagine what my life would be like otherwise. I don't think so because I think the thing that was holding me back was that I didn't realize that there was another life or path that was possible. I had seen one path, right? The one or two paths, maybe, right? The two paths are you work full time till you're 50 or 60, you try to continue to get promoted and be sort of powerhouse in your career. Or if you're a woman, you, you leave the workforce or you sort of take the slower path. Those were the the two things that I had seen. And so being exposed to a lot of different options and thinking about, wow, these things that I've always wanted to do that I didn't think were possible, like people are actually doing them. And these things are actually a possibility that I can decide what I want, and then I can figure out how to make that happen. I'm not sure if I would have gotten there without financial independence, maybe you know, maybe I would have gotten there in a a sort of more roundabout way with different influences. But I think it played a huge role in exposing me and opening my eyes to different possibilities.
5: What I think is really the big part of financial independence, what the role is there is the space between your income and your savings. If we had been living on 90%, 95% of our incomes, there is no possible way that we could have simultaneously paid for part-time childcare and cut my hours at the same time. So you don't necessarily need to be, you know, barreling down early retirement for the pursuit of financial independence to be a really big, important thing. And it's that space that allowed me to make the decision that was best for my mental health, for my family, for life balance. If we needed every last dollar that came into our bank accounts, there is no possible way that I could have considered cutting out a significant amount of my income at the same time we were spending a significant amount of money on childcare. So, you know, financial independence is technically a separate thing, but it's really hard to have a really solid savings rate without having some kind of end goal in mind for most people.
3: I love that because it really is all about the space, the freedom that it gives you to think about what you actually want out of life. And on that note, I would like to ask each one of you, the kind of the the culmination of this conversation, what are the alternatives to early retirement? Based on this conversation, your life experiences, what would you share with our audience as the list of hierarchy of alternatives to retiring early?
1: I think a lot of people want to retire early because they aren't allowed to have the life they want because of their job. Maybe they're stuck in an office a certain number of days and they're stuck away from their family. I'd say the alternative to early retirement is creating a work situation that already fits with your lifestyle so that you don't have that need to get out of it so quickly. As long as you're enjoying what you do, for example, I went from Quit working at the VA where I had to go to a building. Now I work from home remotely with people in Israel. Like I can do it whenever I want. And so it no longer hampers my lifestyle in any way and I enjoy what I'm doing. So I would highly recommend figuring out what parts of your job make it feel arduous enough that you want to retire early or what parts are cutting into your lifestyle and then quit those before you even have to quit the job. Like if there's a way to quit your commute or quit having to go to a place or quit working with a toxic team, any of these small quits that you can make that make your job less toxic or less of a burden on your life that makes you want to get out of it earlier, make those little quits so that you can maybe not have to do the early retirement thing with so much pressure.
3: Exactly. And once you have the financial freedom or the financial space, perhaps you can push back against an employer in a way that a lot of people don't realize, right? Because you can gradually step away by just cutting out the things of the life that you don't want to do. That's talked about a lot in this space. So I think that's a good reminder. Hubert, uh, same to you. What, what do you feel like the alternatives are that you're thinking about in your life?
2: Absolutely. I would pick up on the theme of toxicity that Lynn Marie put down. I think it's a combination of time and toxicity and how you manage those two things. Early in your career, you may not get a lot of time off of work. Later on, maybe you've earned more time off. I think look at avoiding this feeling like you have to go cold turkey into something else. When you retire early, perhaps there's a slow ramp off. And for me, that could be purchasing more time off of work because I can afford to do that. It can be finding a role within my company that's less demanding. Ultimately, it can be the semi-fire route that I've written about, uh, where you go to c- consulting or a part-time arrangement. But don't feel like you have to just jump in to something else. You can find this longer path,
3: off-ramp, if you will, from the full-time cubicle world. Jessica, same question for you. Alternative to early retirement?
0: I think there are so many. And actually, on my blog, I actually started a slow-fi interview series where I'm identifying and trying to amplify the voices of people who are making these kinds of decisions to say, You know, I don't have to save as much as I possibly can right now to retire early and get out of a job completely. They're making these incremental shifts and grabbing hold of the financial freedom that they have along the way. So for me, it's part-time work. So choosing to work part-time along the journey with hopefully having the opportunity to jump into entrepreneurship at some point once I decide I build something up to a certain point on the side. But for other people, it's taking a mini retirement. It's working a location-independent job so they can travel the world. For some, it's working a job for a portion of the year to fund your travels for the rest of the year. So working is sort of that semi-retired lifestyle. For other people, it's entrepreneurship. For some people, it's taking a job they enjoy more that might pay less, but they can set better boundaries at. So there's so many options that are all viable And I think that people should think really critically about how they can improve their lives now and figure out even if it's on the side or, you know, what are the ways that they can start to like pursue their passions and the things that they want to be doing along the way.
3: Wonderful. Perfect. Thank you so much. Angela, same to you. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, well,
5: life is pretty much never black and white. So I had named my blog just on a whim one day, and sometimes I wonder why it's tread lightly retire early when early retirement is clearly not my main end goal. But I've come to be glad that it's there because I think I have more conversations around that than I would otherwise because, you know, sometimes I get the question, well, so you're retiring early, so what's your plan? And it's again that. Early retirement is more for me the ability to make decisions in my life outside of financial constraints. So that's really where financial independence comes for me is that kind of like going to part time, putting my son in childcare, those decisions were not made with money in mind. I mean, clearly I had to think about money, but they were made the opposite of what made financial sense. And so I think that is ultimately a way more important thing than a drawing a hard line between working, not working. Like Jessica was saying, there are just so many different options and choices out there and You know, none of this time is guaranteed for us. Even if we do live to be 90, 100 years old, we're never going to be the age we are now. We're never going to have our children be the age they are now. We're never going to have our friends close by like they are now. We're never going to have those family members that we have now. Even if we could guarantee a long, healthy life for ourselves, life changes. And I really enjoy being able to lean into right now and not wait.
3: Well, so far, the most quotable or tweetable thing I've heard on here so far is I'm a good human. And so I'm gonna start looking at the mirror and like, you know what? I am a good human. And if people ask me like what my job is, you know, I'm a good human and I'm not defined by social working identities. That's my answer from now on. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. And Angela, I'll give you a chance to let us know where we can find you and what is up next for you?
5: I blog over at Tread Lightly, Retire Early. And what's next for me there? Honestly, I don't know yet. I'm kind of just taking it as it comes. I'm really enjoying my Women's Personal Finance Wednesday roundups. Those have really started to grow. And one of my favorite things during the week is seeing how many referrals out I can send to other women bloggers. And I've been growing my Women's Personal Finance Facebook page. We now have over 8,000 women in it. And I've started doing some Facebook lives, which is something I never thought I would do. Juliet. Millennial Boss encouraged me to start them. And they're really fun. I don't have an interest in starting a podcast because the back end stuff has absolutely zero interest to me. Mm-hmm. And same with the requirement of scheduling and finding the time. Clearly, you know how hard it is for me to find this time. But Facebook Lives are really fun, like 20 minute conversation. And they've been really enjoyable. And uh, I have Tanya Hester on on Tuesday. So for at least Jessica, who is in that group, she will get to experience that conversation. But I'm also considering maybe at some point dabbling in YouTube. But really, again, it's the editing that is not fun for me. So it's kind of like, instead of what am I going to quit? What am I not going to start?
3: Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So, if you're a lady, you want to be in on your Facebook group, and you only get to see those lives if you're in the Facebook group. Is that right?
5: That's correct.
3: Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah. plug for that, Jessica. How about you? Where can we find you? And what is up next for you?
0: I blog over at the Vioneers, and then you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at the Vioneers as well. And what's up next? I'm going to my first FinCon in a couple of weeks, so excited to meet all of the people I interact with online, looking at continuing to expand the blog and you know, expand the community. And then one thing I'm considering doing is starting a career coaching course. So with my expertise in HR and being on the hiring side from both a candidate experience and with my experience, I think I would have a lot of value to add to the community for people who are looking to get a better job so that they are able to achieve a higher level of financial freedom. All
3: right, perfect. Stay tuned for that. Qbert, how about you? Where can we find you and what is up next? Sure.
2: This is Qbert and I write at abandonedcubicle.com. I actually have a fledgling Facebook group about cubicle survival. So if you find me on my (laughs) Facebook group, you can join and and we can uh, have a little water cooler conversation there. What's up next for me? After this conversation, I've certainly learned a lot. I'm going to try to add a little bit of time back into my life as soon as next year when I can have the opportunity to purchase an additional week off through work. It's a great benefit to have. And uh, we'll see. I think that there's probably still a good couple of years of uh, corporate America left in me. That could change at a given moment. But this conversation today has certainly enlightened me.
3: Lynn Marie, thank you so much for being on here. Where can we find you and what is up next for you?
1: If anybody's interested in learning more about strategic quitting, you can pick up my book, Quitting by Design. You can listen to my podcast, Quit Happens. You can join my Facebook group called Quitopia, where we do a Facebook Live every week, where we all chat with each other and support each other through our quits. I also have an online course called Make Quit Happen. You can find all of the above, minus the Facebook group, obviously, from going to quittingbydesign.com. I'm also quittingbydesign on Instagram. And what's up next for me is that I just launched my second podcast, called the Plant Medicine Podcast, which you can find at plantmedicine.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, all of that. That is aimed at medical professionals and interested patients. And I'm trying to destigmatize and demystify plant and psychedelic medicines from CBD to psilocybin to ayahuasca because there's a lot of research going on that's showing these to be very beneficial, treating many, many conditions. And uh, we don't learn a lot about it in med school. So I'm trying to fill the gap there. So that's again at Plant Medicine Podcast at plantmedicine.org.
4: All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc Chi, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we would like to thank Hubert,
3: Jessica, Lynn Marie, and Angela. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number three four five three four five. That's a wrap. Well done, guys. It worked out well that Hubert uh, end ended up being our, our case study. Our so, test case, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what did you take away from this? It's all about me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What I always say is the caveat at the end of everything is if whomever you're speaking with doesn't get it, they don't get to be in your five.
3: That's right. That's and, you, it. and then your answer says, I'm a good human. So there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're going to judge me on anything else, I, I was once in an Uber and this guy had just moved to San Diego and he's like, What industry? I was thinking about the hotel industry. I was like, Do you join San Diego? Work in the cannabis industry? He's like, I said, I do. And he goes, What do you tell your parents? And I was like, Very little. What is it? What do they need to know? I was like, I tell them I work for a website. I tell my mom it's cannabis related. My dad has no idea because they have different risk, like
3: people ask me like what my job is. You know, I'm a good human and I'm not defined by social working identities. That's my answer from now on.
2: No so. no matter what anybody else says.
3: <laughs> I'm a good human. So the not quite yet abandoned cubicle plan? <laughs> <laughs>
2: something like that something like that so yeah at some point i do have to live up to my moniker
3: yeah yeah well you gotta tease it out for a while right okay right
4: right on want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast our show features our team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent,
2: I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz